Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thanks again for making us a part of your afternoon from wherever you may be listening today. Joined in studio, as always, my producer, Krista Baruti. Hello. How are you? It's been, well, it's been two weeks now because of the storm last week. You had to take my place. Yes, she called in, well, sick, I, I didn't. Guess. I was in. without power for like 10 hours. I was here. A girl's got to wash yeah. her hair. I don't think that has anything to do with the power. <laughs> that's right. Okay, go ahead. Introduce. you got some great guests today. Well, Who do we have in the that's studio? That's right. Well, today is one of those shows that uh, is brought to us in part by our uh, partnership with Northside Hospital. They were kind enough, to, kind enough to introduce us to today's guests who are part of the, uh, uh, the Northside Cancer Support Community. And so I'll jump around and uh, introduce our folks here in the studio with us. We've got Rachel Newby, Program Director. Hello, very happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you. We've got uh, Donna uh, Meyer. That's right. And uh, Bonnie Bennett. Yes, nice to be here. So Rachel, t- kind of introduce us a little bit to the cancer support community. Who, who, who is it really aimed at? And then we can kind of get down into some of the services that, uh, that someone can expect to kind of link up with when they get involved with the cancer support community. Sure. So the cancer support community is actually a national nonprofit. And so there's about 55 locations across the U.S., and there's four international locations. We are the only one in Georgia and the only one in Atlanta, obviously. Um, And so who are we gearing it towards? Um, We're gearing it towards anybody that's affected by cancer or impacted by cancer. So that's pretty broad, and it could be a little bit vague at times. So who we're really trying to reach out to is anybody that's currently having stress or distress from a cancer diagnosis. So obviously the patient themselves, who we call members, um, their support team, so that could be spouse, neighbor, children, whomever. Um, and that's kind of who we're you know, gearing it towards. And less, I always say that we're trying to not offer services to um, like the, the third cousin of somebody that wants to take Tai Chi for free. So we're really gearing it towards those people that are actually impacted mm-hmm. currently. And, you know, I know that you, know, you talked about the fact that it started a number of years ago and, and, and uh, it was just kind of in its fledgling stages, getting off the ground, going through the iterations that uh, nonprofits sometimes have to go through. And then, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to kind of link in with Northside and the Northside Cancer Institute and kind of partner with them going forward. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages of kind of becoming a part of that kind of global Northside cancer community? Absolutely. Well, it's completely symbiotic and it's a great relationship for us to have. And we have had it since 99. So the reality is, is that um, hospitals across the country, probably in the last five to eight years, have really come on board with offering psychosocial services to their patients, to their oncology patients. Um, So clearly, 99 was how many years ago? 15 at this point. And so Northside was really above I mean, they were really out front and sort of ahead of the curve when it came to offering these kinds of programs to patients because um, at the end of the day, patients do better um, when they're doing things in different realms other than just traditional treatment to, um, to sort of get through the diagnosis and then into survivorship. So 
the relationship is critical, honestly, because um, we're able to offer all kinds of programming that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do. And without Northside, we probably wouldn't have the stability that we have and we wouldn't be able to offer the various types of programs and to the extent of it. And I don't, we certainly wouldn't be in such a sort of prime location mm-hmm. um, across the street from Northside and all of these things. So um, it's absolutely integral to the survivorship of our nonprofit. And it makes total mm-hmm. sense for the partnership to occur given their, you know, the way they're kind of positioning themselves in the cancer community with their relationship with like Georgia Cancer Specialists, Atlanta Cancer mm-hmm. Care, obviously a number of the city's you know, premier providers of, of you know care from the clinical side of things but then also um, it makes you know perfect sense the way Northside kind of approaches that whole patient and now to be able to include um, this sort of component as part of that uh, and and you know taking some focus to the patient who's going through that survivorship thing and then also the you know just their their support like you talked about the fact that it, it affects the person that's sitting alongside the cancer patient as well. So, you know, and from what I understand in your story, um, you kind of have, you know, a little bit of, uh, um, you know, kind of a link into this kind of a story in terms of its value, just given your own experience. From what I understand, you had a mother that uh, had gone through the experience of cancer uh, and maybe didn't have access to some of the resources that you're currently making available to the patients today. Is that, is that right? That is accurate. Um, so she was diagnosed in 99 um, with breast cancer. And, um, at the time the internet wasn't what it is now, obviously it was more, I always think of it as just AOL dial up basically. And so you could send emails kind of, but you couldn't (laughs) get support and you couldn't, there were no blogs and there was no online anything. And the reality is, is that in the Atlanta area, there weren't any support groups either. So I think that the hardest part for her and maybe our family as a unit was that we just felt isolated generally speaking because we didn't know much about cancer at all and it was terrifying i mean um to say the least so it would have been nice to have had somewhere to go where people just sort of understood how it was to either be the one who was diagnosed or a spouse or you know a teenage child or a young child or whatever it might be and so i mean that's sort of driven my interest in this since college and then graduate school so I can feel that you know and and uh, so when I read that I thought it was kind of a compelling piece just to worth mention just because you know as as patients begin to either involve themselves as a patient or their loved ones uh, with your services um, I think it's good to know that the people that are there can really you know relate to them they, that they have that there's some passion behind what they're doing they're not just doing a social services type job where they're helping a group of patients that have cancer um, you have you know kind of an emotional connection you you understand very much what those people are going through and I think that that really comes through um, when you're talking about what you do can you tell a little, tell us a little bit about what you know what kind of programs can someone expect to interface with when they get involved with the, the cancer community sure so um, we have four pillars of program if we were going to sort of separate them out and actually 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 that comes down from our national headquarters and sort of what we can and can't offer um, which helps because it sort of keeps us in line with what's appropriate and what's inappropriate Um, so for example we don't we don't sort of get involved in anything that's that's medical Um, so, you know, there it's just psychosocial things like we don't do lymphatic therapy and we don't do massage therapy and, you know, things like that, that aren't, um, aren't our specialties. Mm -hmm. And so the four pillars of program broken down are support groups, 
The second one is healthy lifestyle classes. The third are educational programs. And the fourth are social events. So for example, for the support groups, it's kind of a given, but there's a lot of site-specific groups. So we have three different breast cancer groups, prostate, GYN, colorectal, things like that. A lot of the um, more common diagnoses will have site-specific groups for that. We have a caregiver's group, which is separate um, because the needs are separate. So that's kind of that. And then second pillar of the healthy lifestyle classes are probably our most popular offerings. And it's what most people have an interest in when they come in. And so that would include anything that's stress reduction or exercise or nutrition. Um, So you might have somebody that has no interest in being in a talking group because they don't feel like they need that, that they're sort of emotionally doing well, but that they really want to be healthy. And so they'll come in and they want to take an exercise class or they have extreme stress or anxiety and they want to take yoga or Tai Chi. So it sort of fits that element. And then the third pillar, as I said, was educational. So we'll have physicians come in, um, oncology nurses, lymphatic therapists, and discuss, you know, how to make good decisions. And so people have less decision regret. And then fourth pillar are social events. Like I said, there's no confusing that. They're social events. But um, it's like an annual holiday party, um, a Valentine's Day luncheon, a high tea, things like that. And, of course, the idea of that is to... Um, to sort of combat the the problem of isolation. And so that's the program. Mm-hmm. And it's all and there's no cost to anything and everyone's professional in what they do. So if you're running a support group, you're a licensed psychotherapist. If you're if you're um, leading a yoga class, you're in RYT, but you also have training and working with oncology. So And regardless of, you know, which particular services they're participating in the 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 folks that come to uh, take part would they all be doing the like the various meetings and classes and so forth all in one singular location or are they kind of held in different parts of the campus or around the city how how does it work so our main campus is in sandy springs which is right across the street from main northside hospital um but then we have Satellite locations at, let's see. So like see. at Northside Forsyth and uh-huh. places like Northside that? Forsyth, Northside mm-hmm. Cherokee, and then we have some other things at, at the GCS locations. Um, there's something in Austell. We have a breast cancer group in Kennestone. But generally speaking, about 95% of, every, of all the actual on-site programs that we do are at the main location, okay. which is where we have a bricks-and-mortar facility, whereas at the hospitals we're using that space and so it has to be scheduled and that has its own complications, but we're very happy to be there. Um, So generally speaking, it's it's mainly in Sandy Springs. We've been talking to Rachel Newby, the program director from the cancer support community that's part of the Northside Cancer Institute. And and when we're looking at the person that's eligible to participate in your programs, do they need to be, this may be a silly question, but do they need to be a current patient of someone that's a part of the Northside community you know of clinical providers or is it just somebody from the Atlanta community that's in this population they're either a caregiver or a patient of you know a cancer of some sort that they can come and participate with your program um, it can be anybody actually we tend to get a lot of Northside patients just because of our location and so it tends to be that you know if people live close to Northside they're going to end up being a patient of Northside and so obviously just when it comes to distance a lot of our members end up at some point being treated or having surgery at Northside. But anybody can come there, and that really comes again down to our national policy and procedure that we're an independent 501c3, and anybody, again, that's impacted by the disease can come and get services there. So if somebody chooses to not have treatment, um, if they sort of go on their own path and their own route, then 
we'll meet them where they are and that's fine. And then of course we have people that stick to a very Western version of treatment and they'll come over as well and maybe come to a cooking demonstration and they'll come to bingo um, <laughs> or whatever it is that we're doing, I suppose. But right. um, anybody can come and, and everyone's welcome. And it sounds like regardless of their type of cancer that they may be dealing with or whatever stage it may be, they're, you know, anywhere along that continuum of care, you know, survivorship way, way far out or just now going through the journey. It sounds like that's, there's a place for them there. Anybody from newly diagnosed to, I mean, we see, I don't know, I think had somebody come in that was maybe 30 years out from their original diagnosis and they wanted to take some yoga classes and that is absolutely fine because the reality is is that there's short-term side effects and then there's long-term side effects and you know there's always going to be some kind of effect right so when when someone's you know a caregiver for a loved one dealing with cancer and they're kind of having a hard time what sort of you know what can you do for me when i get involved with the cancer support community so generally speaking that's why we have a separate caregivers group because it's it's a different set of needs. And the reality is, is that in a mixed group with both patients and caregivers, nobody can be honest. And so, you know, if you get a couple in there, they're absolutely gonna be like, oh, I'm fine, or oh, I'm good, and aren't you the sweetest, and aren't you the best? <laughs> and in the caregivers group, man, it really comes out. And so um, <laughs> people can just sort of say what they wanna say. Right. I facilitate the caregivers group there, and we have it twice a month on Saturdays. So it's accessible for caregivers that are either working or whatever. Um, but we can sort of, or a little bit better, obviously not have to fight traffic to get there either. But um, caregivers can actually participate in anything at the community other than the site specific groups that are just for their loved one. Do you see kind of a kind of, kind of a group of themes that tend to kind of bubble up among that group of people? I mean, I, I can only imagine the challenges that, it, you know, logistically trying to get from doctor to doctor to doctor and all the various treatments that they can have depending on what type of cancer they're dealing with. But mm -hmm. do you do you tend to see kind of a particular set of things that those folks tend to really have a hard time with? With patients or the caregivers? The caregiver side. The caregivers, I think generally speaking, um, caregivers have a hard time with not being able to fix the situation. Mm. Feeling powerless. Yeah, and yeah, powerless, helpless, whatever it might be. And so sometimes that can be pretty irritating to the patient themselves um, because sometimes they'll be a hoverer, a hoverer smother. <laughs> Get this helicopter As we like to me. call them. That's right, stop hovering. And so the good thing is, is that when they tend to talk to other caregivers, they understand that it's, it's really all the same situation regardless of cancer site, what the stage is, what the prognosis is. They really all just feel helpless and alone in sort of what they're doing because their peers generally don't understand how it is um, to have a spouse that's sick. And they also don't wanna sort of dump on all their friends and their family constantly. Mm -hmm. And at some point, friends and family don't wanna listen <laughs> to it anymore. They're really kind of over it. Right. And so, the great opportunity is that, you know, these are people that you only see twice a week or twice a month, I'm sorry. Um, and they're in the same boat and they get to sort of talk about the experience as well. Uh, I can see where that would be, you know, useful to be able to offload some of those things and keep the peace, you know, in your in your personal space at home a little bit more easily that way. So it's, it, you know, it's got to be, you know, pretty valuable to be able to do that. Now, obviously, we talked about the fact that the, the programs that you provide don't cost anything for its participants. So funding how do how do you go about you know providing funding for your efforts sure so we're very similar to other sort of grassroots nonprofit i suppose how many years have we been open now 97 to 2014 anybody is that 17 Could is be. it 
Yeah. Okay. We'll see 17 years. So I don't know how grassroots we are at this point because we're sort of into it, I I guess. Um, But we write grants to different foundations, obviously foundations that their philanthropy is to give to oncology. Um, The fact that we're affiliated with Northside Hospital, uh, they're our largest donor, but we're also affiliated with the hospital. And then individual contributions, uh, people like our year in campaign, we have a annual race that we do. It's called the Chastain Chase. And I believe it was in, was it in May of this year? April? April of this year. Um, It kind of floats depending on the available race dates. But um, that's our annual fundraiser. And, you know, things like that, again, like any other nonprofit, basically. What kind of runner, you know, population do you have in that? How many people come and participate in that event, do you know? I think it varies depending on the year. Um, We're currently sort of building because we ended up at Chastain Park, I believe, two years ago. So this will be our third year there. And I think... There it is. Somebody else is speaking for you, me. Thank you, you, Bonnie. You can jump on the About mic 120, there, Mike. I believe. About 120, I believe. There it is. I was trying not to give a solid number. Um, so 120, apparently. Around that. And, uh, you know, we're always interested in, in getting more walkers and runners to come on down. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I noticed in, in, you know, some of the backstory about the organization that, uh, that it actually there was a merger with Gilda Radner's uh, organization. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So back in 2009... Um, yes, we sort of, so it's interesting because the organization sort of started as one and then split to two with the wellness community, which was what our name was until about, I guess, five years ago when we, when we did the merger. So it sort of started as the wellness community and Gilda Radner was a participant of the wellness community in Santa Monica, which was the first one. And so she had ovarian cancer, obviously, but an active member there. And then after she passed away, her husband, Gene Wilder, or as I like to call him, Willy Wonka, started um, Gilda's Club in her honor. And so it kind of verged into two different organizations, but very similar missions, very similar programs. I think Gilda's Club was a little bit more whimsical than maybe the, the wellness community was. And so back in 2009, we decided to sort of combine forces, I suppose. And there was a review of policies and program. And we basically sort of came back together and said, you know, what can this organization be that's best of both sides? And that's what it's been. And so over the past, I suppose, five years, there's been a transition from wellness communities becoming cancer support communities and Gilda's clubs becoming cancer support communities. And um, we basically doubled in size. I would imagine that that, you know, just having that kind of a name attached to things kind of brought a lot of eyes to what you were doing and helped, you know, maybe move things forward a little bit faster once the merger came together. Absolutely. And the reality is, is that... um, so the wellness community is a pretty, it's a pretty vague name. And when it was founded in 1982, that was the intention because of the stigma that was placed on cancer. At this point, <laughs> you know, Komen has done its, certainly its job of right. sort of getting, everybody talks about breast cancer and that's in no it's way okay hush to say hush. The word cancer now. Yeah, you sort of assume, right? But, um, you know, and prior to that, really, which was a major push in the 90s, the stigma was sort of large and so people could go into the wellness community in Santa Monica and other locations and people would have no idea what they were going in there for so they'd toss on their wigs or toss on their hats and go in and then come out and no one would be any the wiser basically and they'd be like what are you doing in there and they were like well I was visiting the wellness community which had nothing to do with cancer and so the reality is is that the chronicity of cancer has changed Um, people are talking about cancer now like one of my grandmothers died from ovarian cancer until I was 18 
all I was told was that she died of women's troubles. And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? Women's <laughs> troubles? I'm a woman, kind of. Um, am I going to have this woman's trouble? Yeah. And so, you know, it's changed. And so the idea was to call a spade a spade and just call it the cancer support community. So people, when they saw it, they could say, oh, I get it. It's a support community for people that have cancer instead of just the wellness community. Right. And Gilda, you know, although she's revered for a lot of things, you know, as generations go by, right. you know, she's not going to be necessarily relevant forever right. as a name. And so we yeah. called a spade a spade. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it, it's got to be, you know, pretty rewarding for you because obviously one of the guests that you brought along with you today was somebody that kind of became involved with the from the patient side of things, from what I understand. I did. So it's got to be rewarding for you to be able to see somebody go through that and come out the other side and now be participating. So can you take me through your story, Bonnie, and kind of, you know, tell a little bit about what got you involved with the cancer support community, and we'll kind of take things from okay, there. Okay, I'd be glad to. I was diagnosed in 2003 with breast cancer. I come from a family with a history of breast cancer on both sides, going back to, we think, maybe my great-grandmother my mother's grandmother, although in those days, of course, there was no, no name for it, I don't right. think. Um, <clears throat> both sides of the family, and so I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that my time was probably coming, and when I turned 58 12 years ago, it did. Even though I was halfway expecting it, um, I was just totally blindsided, mm -hmm. nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And I decided, because of my mother's situation and, and the family situation, to go ahead and have a bilateral mastectomy, even though the cancer was just on one side. And at age 58, I decided I don't want to go through reconstruction. So I chose not to do that, and for me, it was absolutely the perfect way to go. Um, Twelve years later, I'm doing fine. I've been cancer-free all this time. Um, I've had an opportunity to participate at CSC and work with other newcomers who are coming in. Um, it has just been a wonderful experience. So I know firsthand kind of from both sides, having utilized the facility for myself and all the services that they have to offer, as well as working with newcomers in these orientation meetings when they first walk in our door to be able to talk about what we have to offer and give that positive feeling of what they can expect. So I imagine, you know, you talked about the fact that you had, you know, relatives <laughs> close to you that, yes. that also ex experienced uh, breast cancer. So at what point did you begin to, you know, really pay attention, start going through, you know, and can you talk about what you did, you know, back in those days when you kind of rewind and you were, you know, knew you were kind of at high risk. Yes. Can you talk about the, the steps that you took to kind of monitor yourself? Did you, did it make you do things like self-exams or mammograms or anything like that a little bit more diligently maybe than you would have otherwise? Or Absolutely. Um, I started when I was in my 40s. I found a surgeon and I saw him every six months. He was a breast surgeon um, for a checkup, and then I would have a mammogram every year. And during all of those years, I had many biopsies. In those days, it wasn't the quick uh, determination or MRI. You know, you had to go under completely, and, and oh. they would take the little area out, and it was benign every time. But because I was so diligent, I must say, and they told me at the time, had I put that last mammogram off another six months, wow. it would have made a tremendous difference in my outcome. And so that's been my message for years, that, that we just must be so diligent to do our follow-ups, mm -hmm. whether you have a, a history or not. Once the, once the protocol is in place and it's mm -hmm. time to begin the monitoring, 
it's not the kind of thing to put off because early detection, as we know, is the key. Was your lesion, when they found it, was it one that you were able to actually feel yourself? I never felt it. I I never felt it. The mammogram picked it up. Well, so you went through the process. I can only imagine what it's like to learn you have cancer of any kind. I mm-hmm. can imagine that was very challenging. Yeah. At what point did you, you know, how did you become familiar with the, the cancer support community and kind of, you know, take me through, you know, what that experience was yes. like from a patient's perspective? Yes. I happened to have a good friend who actually worked at Northside Hospital, and she knew someone who had elected to do exactly what I was getting ready to do a year before that. This girl had had a bilateral mastectomy. She had only had the cancer on one side. She was doing the other one prophylactically just to make sure. And so my friend put us together, and it was such a wonderful thing she did because we went out to lunch and we talked for hours. And I asked, this was before my surgery, I had an opportunity to ask her all my questions. And since she had experienced it firsthand, it was very different getting her perspective on it as opposed to a doctor telling me what to expect who had not experienced it. And so it helped me get through that. And as it turns out, she was one of the facilitators at the cancer support community, which (laughs) was in the wellness community. It was just to happen so. And so she first told me about CSC. But it wasn't until a year or two later that I actually walked into the door. I see. And took advantage of it. We've been talking with Bonnie Bennett, the volunteer coordinator for the cancer support (laughs) community that you can find at the Northside Cancer Institute. When you walked in the door for the yes. first time, can you talk about the, you know, the programs that you, you know, decided to take part in and kind of how they helped you? I would love to because the first program I took advantage of, it was a support group. We don't have it right now, but it was called Coming Home. And it was for people that had had the diagnosis, had been through the whole process, the treatment and all of this, and the, the oncologist had released them and they were just going to go back in for their blood work every right. year, whatever the case may be. And I thought, well, this is great. I'll just get right on with the life as I knew it before. And I was really struggling. This was about in the second year. And CSC offered a program called Coming Home, which meant you're coming home to the life you knew before, and you may have find that it's not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. There were issues for me like every little ache and pain. What is that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh Is it back? Right. I found that I was in a constant state of stress. Right. As understanding and wonderful as my family was and my friends had been through all of this, nobody could really understand unless they'd walked in these shoes. I mean, it was a major trauma at the time, and I found that it continued to be. And so I sat in this support group surrounded by about 14 or 15 other people, all of whom were where I was in the journey. We were through with our treatment and everything. And were they all different types of cancer? Different types of cancers, predominantly breast, because that's the majority of what we see. Right. But um, uh, about 15 or 16 people. And just to sit there in that comfortable, cozy environment, that room, and hear them talk about exactly what I was feeling was just the momentum that I needed. And I really believe that recovery is an ongoing process and we can tweak it and and use these wonderful opportunities to help us in these low times and they do come for the majority of people. You know, I can't generalize, I know, but I'm just speaking from my experience. Sure. 
you know, through the show, we started in April, and since that time, we've done several panel shows uh, on cancer of different types with, with physicians, but now we've had uh, several times uh, patients have joined us on the show, and and I've, I've been impressed by the number of them that talked about the fact that when you're going through your treatment, you're, you know, obviously you're, you've got a number of physicians that you're, you know, particularly in the really immediate time uh, when you're first dealing with your cancer, lots of surgery t- type things and diagnostics and so forth yeah. to go with, but you're seeing somebody frequently, constantly, you're seeing another doctor or several. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the place where they say, okay, we got it, we, it, everything looks great, um, we'll see you in a year that there's a bit of a that uh, kind of happens. That, it's like uh, now, what do I yeah, do? Yeah, I'm on my own yeah. it is, the, is the sense. So I'm sure that having those people that are, that are there can kind of help allay the fact that, you know, maybe that ache and pain is just an ache and pain, and, mm-hmm. and I'm dealing with that too. I felt the same way. It seems to have helped you. Exactly, and also to realize that maybe my life, in my life now I have a new norm. It's never going to be exactly like it was before I went through the cancer journey. And having this new norm now, it's so helpful to be surrounded by people at CSC who are at different stages and, and understand when we talk about that. And there's always a, a, um, a willing ear for you, somebody that felt that way last week, you know, is back on their feet this week. It's a very positive environment. It's a real upper for me. And my days, honestly, my days at CSC are my favorite days of the week. And from what I understand, you're 12 years out. You've been surviving for a good long period, and yes. I would say looking at you, thriving. Um, you're still involved with the programs. You're, you're still actually participating, not just being a part of the, the community center now. That's right. And I, I do their, some of their exercise classes. I love one of the yogas. Um, I do their, um, um, a lot of their cooking demonstrations, the nutrition seminars. I mean, it just depends on the month. And what, it, what, what the many, many offerings are. There is so much to choose from. So how did you transition from being a patient involved in the programs to actually now you're a volunteer coordinator? You're actually yes. working with the program. How did that happen? Well, I, as I began to use the facility more and more, I realized that it's probably important to have somebody in that front lobby on the desk to welcome new people as they're coming in. They may have been through an orientation, but they're coming in for the first time. To, to participate mm-hmm. and it's mighty nice to have somebody sitting there that understands that some people are a little bit uh, um, trepidatious about that yep. and so I began doing that one day a week and slowly um, came across a core of wonderful people all of whom are cancer survivors who asked how do I get involved in what you're doing and before we knew it, we had um, someone, we try to have someone on the front desk during our busy times, Monday through, most of the week, Monday through Thursday. Um, and so that naturally segued into that. And so we are now a cohesive group, and um, it's just a, a mutual endeavor. And our area right there in front is people come in, come, people come in sort of acts as a congregation spot. As people are coming in and out of activities or coming out of an exercise class, they'll top, stop to speak, and then other people are coming in. Glad to see them today. It's just a, just a very positive environment. 
Well, I can only imagine, uh, you know, I know when you go through something difficult it, that it kind of ministers to yourself whenever you're able to then Absolutely. reach out to somebody that you can see that are in the throes of the crisis, whatever yeah. it may be, whether in, in this case cancer or other things that you may have to go through in life, to be able to actually say, it's going to be okay. I, w- I, I know how you feel. I Trust me. Look where I'm at now. Uh, you can get here, too. I'm sure that that's got to be great. And I know I would feel great if I walked in and you greeted me the, to say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Um, you, you lead the new member orientation. Can you t- okay. talk to me a little bit about you know that process and how you kind of onboard people in? Yes. Um, we really like for people to start their process with us at our orientation. We offer that twice a week. I do a meeting every Monday morning at 10 a.m., and then Rachel Newby, who's with us, you know, Rachel today, she does one at 6 p.m. on Thursday evenings. Um, all you need to do is to call and let us know which one you would like to come to, and we put you down. What you'll do is to come in, and I like to start off with the whole group. Let me give an example. Yesterday was my Monday morning at 10. I had eight people come in. They were at all different levels of the journey. I had one lady who had had ovarian cancer 15 years ago and has been cancer-free all that time. And she is now at the place in her life where she feels that she needs some support. So she's reaching out. Mm -hmm. There was someone else who was going in next week for bilateral mastectomy. She wanted to know what might be in place for her once she gets through that part of the surgery that she might fall back on for support. And so I see the gamut at these meetings. It's different for everybody. And even though people have individual circumstances, we all have a major common denominator. And it's so interesting. By the end of the meetings, usually, the rapport among that group is amazing. And yesterday, six of them left together to go out to lunch. And they had never met each other before. And I think so often, if people are coming in the door, we know they're looking for something, and it's support for this. And... um, so they have that in common right off the bat. And so that, that's just a natural meeting place for them as far as uh, friendships. So that's what we do. And I like to uh, give an overview of everything that we have to offer and to emphasize that there is so much there that it's just a matter of trying different things, finding your niche. There's never a commitment or an obligation. We are all about lack of stress in this journey and so um, it's just a matter of continuing to plug in where you feel that it's benefiting you as an individual. Well, so I can obviously say if, if you're a person out there listening today and your loved one is going through the journey of cancer either early on or now, you know, just like you are, Bonnie, out the other side now and they're a survivor and they're finding, as, right. as you described, the woman who's kind of finally realized, man, maybe I could use talking to some people mm-hmm. or being around some people that know what I'm going through or what I've experienced, this is a place to be. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about the survivorship side, that, that would bring me to uh, our, our next guest here, Donna. Can you talk about, you know, your role in the, in the cancer community, you know, with being a survivorship coordinator? Talk about what that means and... and uh, it can, it can kind of sound nebulous, yeah. Um, but it's really kind of all-inclusive. We talk about there's an entire continuum that patients go through from the time of diagnosis through their treatment and then long after they've completed their treatment. And survivorship is basically described as from the time that you're diagnosed for the rest of the balance of your life. So you're a survivor from that very first day. 
Um, and so I really find that a lot of the things that I focus on, along with the, the cancer support community, are based on the quality of life for both the patient and for their family members, because family members are seen as survivors too. What happens to the patient also right. happens to their family. Well, you know, I, I think that it, it seems to me, I mean, I'm not, I've not been, you know, clinically my background was, you know, not related to cancer. It was related to cardiovascular intensive care, so I was always dealing with open heart people. But as I've begun to interface with more of the folks from the, the cancer community, you know, particularly through the show, I'm starting to understand that there's a whole lot more focus nowadays on that side of things. I, it, it feels like, at least to my limited extent of knowledge, that it's a relatively more recent, maybe the last decade or so of time where we began to realize that that survivorship side of things, once I'm done with my treatment, I'm, I've been deemed, okay, you're okay, we're going to monitor you periodically for a follow-up to make sure you're okay, but the, you know, just, the, just living with that uh, car crash in your life, if you will, of, of having gone through cancer you know, can, can touch you, just like Bonnie described. Um, and so, you know, having someone that's dedicated to interfacing with those people and kind of helping them go through what they're doing is, is going to be important. Um, you know, how about yourself? How did you become, you know, to be a part of the cancer support community? Well, I, too, am a survivor, and I was working at a, another facility here in the Atlanta area. And so when I came on to start working as a navigator, I was looking at building support programs for patients. And one day I happened upon one of the support community um, calendars and started p go going through the pages and I thought, oh my gosh, look at this stuff. They have everything there. <laughs> and, uh, and it really was everything. It was daunting to be standing in another location and thinking, how in the world am I going to pull this much together? Um, and it really is. It's, a, it's like a smorgasbord. Anywhere that you go in, uh, you're going to find something that's appealing to you, kind of like what Bonnie was saying. Um, different people need different things at different times, and uh, the support community has programs that can meet those needs across the board. So did you get actually go through and kind of interface from, you know, just like we talked with Bonnie, were you able to participate in some of the programs yourself along I the think way? my story is a little bit more like Rachel's mom. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, what, sure. Sorry, Donna. Well, but sometimes what drives you um, in your passion and your, your career really has more to do with what doesn't happen than what does. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I didn't have that support, and I did have the need for it. And so for me, that's part of what fuels my passion for our families and for, and for um, patients, that they get their needs met. Do you, I mean, what, what kind of, are there kind of, I've asked this question earlier, I mean, in, in you know, the kind of your focus where you're helping the, the, the family member or the patient themselves who is a survivor, do you find that there are kind of a set of concerns that tend to, bubble up there kind of like what we talked about before the aches and pains or you know that the, just this jitteriness that just, what what do you find these people tend to deal with that they can really use some help with well you hit upon it earlier where you're finishing treatment and they say congratulations your treatments are done and we'll see you in three months and people freak out because you're used to being very closely supervised and knowing that you're going to see your doctor every two weeks and getting those blood tests back and now you think oh no, I'm just going to be out there. And the fear of recurrence is huge. Uh, so that's something that Bonnie spoke to. Um, and then I think really you're just beginning to process what's happened to you on a psychosocial level. At first you're in the battle, you're in the thick of things, you're going through all those appointments, you're fighting the battle, and now you're starting to say, wait a minute, what just happened? And you know, the literature now is really starting to look at it more in terms of a PTSD experience uh -huh. um, and trying to integrate that. And I think Rachel mentioned before that 
even if you have very loving and very supportive family members and um, friends, pretty soon they've already heard all your stories and they have a vested interest in you being well. They want you to get back to be that person you were before. So it's almost like you're Let's the gymnast. Let's focus gym on being well, well not you're so the much gymnast. how this you've stuck the You've stuck the landing, your hands are in the air, and you're done with this. And um, sometimes that's really when you're just starting to have to have those conversations. And that's where support groups and exercise classes, as you kind of talk along the side, people really get that if they've walked it out before. Um, and you have that opportunity to kind of process some of that stuff. Is there kind of a specific group that I would be a, a member of or participate in, of, you, know, on, you know, focusing on the survivorship side of things? Well, we have survivorship classes um, at the community. We have two different types. Uh, we have one called Cancer Transitions, and that is a six-week-long class, and you get to be really in a tight group through that process. You get a pedometer. You get to work, start working on your exercise. You're keeping a food log. You have an opportunity to kind of talk through all the things that have happened to you and future planning for wellness. What kinds of things can I take control of that are going to help aid me in making sure that I do everything I can to prevent a recurrence? Right. Um, so the Cancer Transitions class is a six-week long one. And then we have a one-time class that really helps you with just that transition period. If I'm, I'm getting done with treatment. I'm freaking out because I'm not going to be going back to see my doctor. What happens now? And so we have an opportunity to kind of talk through that. How often do those folks come together in that period of time? Well, um, the uh, transitions class is once a week for six weeks, and then the one-time survivorship class is, is just one time. I gotcha. So. Well, I, I'm sure that it's got to be somewhat empowering when you can, you know, visit, because uh, through the, the different panel shows that we've done, there has been a couple of the physicians that mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, the things like diet and exercise, they don't guarantee uh, the, that a recurrence isn't going to occur, obviously, but that they, they've talked very confidently about the fact that the more you make certain changes, you know, staying active and to, you know, making some modifications to the diet that you take, that you can really have some measure of impact on its likelihood. And I'm sure that, that you know, finding that out and, and having some support along with that's got to be somewhat empowering for that person to kind of help them have a little more at least a less level of stress as they worry about, mm -hmm. you know, is this going to come back? That's really true. And one of the things, too, that I like about um, the experts that do each one of these types of classes and things at the community is that they are teaching on multiple levels at the same time. When you go to see a food demonstration, they're talking to you about why dark chocolate is good and what concentration of dark chocolate and how come that is. And so it's not just you get to play with chocolate, which is never bad, but they're really teaching on multiple levels. And the same thing with the exercise classes. If you're someone who's just starting to exercise again, maybe you're coming from being very lethargic during your treatments, um, there's a lower level that they get you started at, and then you can kind of increase your level till you can actually go toward um, advancing your fitness level. Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised, but I mean, I didn't realize that, you know, just how large the, the population of cancer patients are that come through, kind of like uh, Northside is known for where you go to have babies, uh, you know, yeah. it's evidently becoming the place to go if you're dealing with cancer. Mm -hmm. It's big. I, I, I can just imagine how rewarding that's got to be to be able to interface with that many folks coming through. And, and, you know, as I've been talking to each of you, I can only imagine how, you know, you're you're real people and you have a story to tell um, that would you know be relatable to you know so many folks um, when you ha have you know in your particular role with as a survivorship coordinator I would imagine you're getting to interface with these people for a long period of time you're getting to see these people that are telling I'm 12 years out I'm 
five years out, I'm 10 years out. We like to celebrate. Uh, we have several events over the course of the year at Northside uh, to give people the opportunity to come together and raise their hands and be victors. And uh, it's very exciting to see. We, um, we did one at the uh, Braves game. And, you know, they always say there's 11 million survivors in America. There's 14 million. And, you know, I like a good number. But when we had walked all the way around the field, which is ginormous, I turned around and looked, and there were survivors all the way around the field. And it just gave me chills to see that. Um, so we really are doing very well in our battle against cancer. And along with winning that battle and keeping people alive, we want to have a good quality of life for those individuals and help them to raise the level of their functioning to as close to where they started this journey as we can. Well, uh, <coughs> you know, I'm always amazed at how quickly our time goes by here. So before we run out of time, uh, if, y if you can, I, I, you know, I'm sure you have a, a comment or two, a thought that you might like to leave the person listening, whether they're someone that's out there that's loved one is, you know, like I say, they're either in the process now, we just found out they have cancer, or they just finished their treatment. Do you have something for either the loved one or that, that patient that, uh, that you, know, you can either give them a word of encouragement or a thought or something we can leave them with before we have to go i guess i'll take this one this is rachel um first of all i'd like to say that anybody that's ever diagnosed with cancer the three big themes of loss that, that they sort of identify are loss of hope loss of control and loss of socialization or isolation and the reality is is that that's those are three pretty common themes that almost everybody identifies and you might feel like you're alone in it, but the reality is is that it's very normal, and that's what everybody experiences. Um, and also, if you're after you finish treatment, if you feel like you're losing it, and that you don't know why you feel not great, and you feel like you should feel great, and everybody's telling you that you should feel great, the reality is, is that most people don't, um, and that that's okay, and it's sort of just the beginning. So I guess I would just leave with the information of how to reach us, which is our phone number, and it's 404-843-1880. And then you can find us on the internet at www.cscatlanta.org. And, you know, we'll certainly tie in and, and link up with that through the show's page uh, so that folks, as they come and listen, and, you know, after the fact, they'll be able to link back and get to the website. It looks like there's some great information out there. Any events coming up that you think would be worth mentioning real quick? Yes, we have an upcoming um, holiday baking party, and it's in December, and it's not coming up necessarily quickly, but it feels like it is as I'm doing the November-December calendar. <laughs> um, so that's actually quite nice. We, um, we spend about three or four hours just one afternoon watching It's a Wonderful Life and baking pumpkin bread and cookies, and it's totally not healthy. Um, but, you know, we all have to have vices, and we have cider, and it's just sort of a nice communal thing to do together to just appreciate the year and uh, appreciate each other and just be in you know, good company with people that understand how it feels. Sure. I would just add one other thing too. If you are thinking about coming to an orientation meeting, I would encourage a caregiver or the patient to please do that and feel free to bring a family member or a friend. Mm -hmm. It's so easy if you just walk in the door, I can promise you the minute you get inside, you will be welcomed and have that comfortable, positive feeling that is so prevalent in this facility. And you'll be meeting people right off the bat, and you'll get all the information you need. At least you'll arm yourself with the information, and you'll know what's there if down the road you'd like to take advantage of it.
Thanks. It's not like a hospital. It's more like home. When you walk in there, there's beautiful furniture and carpet and artwork, and it's not one more clinical place for you to be. We've got ladies whispering over <laughs> here. I think that some secrets are going <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, there's a great story that we were tasked with telling. Go ahead. We yeah. were tasked. We got we time. We almost forgot. Oh. One, of our, one of our members said that sometimes when she comes in, she, fi- he'll, she can hear herself singing in her head the theme for Cheers. where everybody knows your name (laughs) well you know i mean this is i'm I'm very glad you all came and took time out of your days to share your information and your stories Uh, uh, each of you uh, obviously has dealt with cancer in one form or fashion so thank you for sharing those uh, tough to tell stories sometimes but uh, I, i think it just goes to show that the type of folks that people can expect to interface with when they get involved with uh, the cancer support community here at Northside. I want to say thank you very much to the Northside Hospital and Northside Cancer Institute for partnering with us to take advantage of our medium to be able to share information like this. It feels like, uh, you know, for me, it's really rewarding to be able to uh, know that we're making information available that's going to help somebody. And uh, if you are listening to our show right now, be sure that you turn around and put it on your Facebook page, put it on Twitter, uh, and encourage your networks to share this information. It really uh, you know, relies a lot on that earned media side of things for you to turn around, share it. It's very easy to do, and I can assure you, uh, given the variety of cancers that we're dealing with these days, that somebody that you know, if not yourself, is going to be affected directly. So uh, help somebody that you care and share this information with them uh, through social media because I can promise you it's going to make a difference. Make sure that uh, if you haven't done so already that you link up with uh, the Top Docs Radio Show on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Top Docs on BRX on both Twitter and Facebook. We try to put up information that uh, is shared by all of our guests uh, over time so you can get some good information there and you can link back in with their resources as well. Ladies, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. Thanks for the folks at Flashman Hilliard for helping us uh, get to know the folks at Northside Better and Northside Hospital, uh, of course, uh, making this show possible. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks a lot, Krista. 